Welcome to Word Matters, presented by the Christian Standard Bible. Word Matters is a podcast dedicated to helping Christians understand some of the most confusing and controversial passages of the Bible. Now join the conversation with your hosts, Trevin Wax and Brandon Smith. How did Jesus build his church? That is the question that we're discussing on this episode of Word Matters. I'm Brandon Smith, as always here with my co-host Trevin Wax, and today we're going to discuss uh, Matthew 16, 13 to 20, or at least as much of it as we can, although it's probably a three or four episode type of passage. Uh, but helping us work through this passage today is Jonathan Lehman. Jonathan is the editorial director for Nine Marks and an elder at Capitol Hill Baptist Church in D.C. Uh, he's also written uh, several books on church government, membership, discipline, uh, etc., including Political Church, Don't Fire Your Church Members, and Understanding the Congregation's Authority. Uh, Jay, uh, Jonathan, thank you so much for jumping on with us. Thanks, brother. Uh, truth in advertising, I'm no longer an elder at Capitol Hill and on my way to plant a church in nearby Chevrolet. We, so. Well, that's uh, that's good to know. Just broke news on the Word Matters podcast. I think that news has been out. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, well. But that's that's good. Okay. I, so, I blame my research assistant, Brandon Smith. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay. We're, we're going to go ahead and read the text. And then, Jonathan, we're looking forward to you helping us work through some of the issues here. Uh, like Great. Brandon said, we're not going to hear all of the issues we could probably do several episodes on this, but Matthew 16, 13 through 29 in the CSB reads this way. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus responded, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. Then he gave the disciples orders to tell no one that he was the Messiah. Now, we read this passage, and I mean, there are... A, a few key phrases and terms that have influenced how the church has understood its mission, its authority. Um, Catholics have argued that uh, this passage um, is is the basis for the belief that Peter is the first pope. Um, Pentecostals have argued that the keys of the kingdom uh, can refer to the power to bind demons. Uh, a lot of Protestants say that the keys are proclaiming of the gospel. We could go on and on talking about the the, the gates of Hades, why the, the discussion about this being revealed uh, to Peter. So but I, I want us to zero in on a couple of things. Uh, first, let's just let's tackle the meaning and the different interpretations of what does it mean when Jesus says that upon this rock I will build my church. And then um, Jonathan, well, and then after that, we'll, we'll take a look at the keys of, of the kingdom, the loosing and binding. That's a, a confusing passage, I think, for a lot of people. But go ahead, let, Jonathan, let's start, kick off with the, the, some discussion on the, the rock. What, what, what is Jesus referring to here? Yeah, sure. Uh, a lot of people say it's either, I mean, multiple interpretations. Probably the two most common ones are Peter, Peter's the rock. Or it's Peter's confession. Uh, Jesus has a, you know, look at Stephen, a basic commentary on this text, and it'll, it'll talk to you about the word play between the, the word rock, Cephas, and Peter's name, Cepha, and, uh, and, and what Jesus is trying to do with that there. Um, uh, for a long time, Roman Catholics, as you just mentioned, referred to Peter as the rock, and from that they got these ideas that 
of, of Petrine supremacy, and therefore uh, Peter as the bishop of Rome, and therefore the bishop of Rome having supremacy over all the church. And, and at some point in church history, after the Reformation, uh, I, I don't know exactly when, I've not traced it out, uh, Protestants became nervous about that and said, well, it's not, it's not Peter, it's, it's, it's his confession, it's what he's saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my own view is that everything in the text seemed to suggest, you just read the text and it sounds like when he says, you are Peter and on this rock, it sounds like he's talking about Peter. Because of the way the wordplay goes. I mean, you are the rock. He, 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 because he's he's got the, the, the wordplay in the original language so close, that would be yeah. why you would see it that way. Yeah, that's right. And so I, I would agree with Craig Keener when he says Peter is the rock because he is the one who has confessed Jesus as the Christ in this context. Or, or I like the way Ed Clown, Clowney put it. He says, the confession cannot be separated from Peter, neither can Peter be separated from his confession. In other words, it's not just Peter who's going to go and build this church. It's Peter professing this confession of who Jesus is that's going to build this church. In other words, I don't think you can finally separate Peter and confession from one another. You, you kind of need both. Well, I mean, I, I, I grew up though, li- until I really got into the commentaries and, and really looked at some of the, the different scholarly views on this, I grew up hearing my whole life that the, it's definitely the confession is the rock on which the church is built. It's sort of like a Protestant over Protestant overreaction a little well, bit. Well, I mean, it, fe- took it. it felt well, that's that the, way. That's the question. Is it over? Is it an overreaction? Right. Yeah. I, I, I heard the same thing. Uh, Trevin, growing up, and I remember hearing that in seminary when I got there. And yet, as I as I continue to look at this and studying these commentaries, and you know, Carson's got this little comment about more and more evangelical commentaries have finally come to the conclusion that yes, this is basically talking about Peter. We don't need to overcorrect. Um, I think what's crucial to understand is is what does Jesus build the church on? Well, people who believe the right things, right? Confessors confessing the right confession. Uh, think about what does an ambassador do? An, ambas- an ambassador doesn't go without the king's message. He's no good if he doesn't have the king's message. But the message doesn't go apart from the ambassador. It doesn't just travel along. No, you need the ambassador carrying the king's message. The two of those go together. That's right. So I think that's what's going on here. And Okay, so, it, but there's nothing in this view that, that you've come to, that I've come to. Uh, there's, uh, I guess, Brandon, you agree? Yeah, Are you, have we enough you? not to make a big deal about it? <laughs> okay, right now, sure. uh, um, I, I, I'm just, uh, I, I guess, I guess there's nothing in here. I just want to assure listeners, there's nothing in here though that means if you take the view that Peter is the rock, uh, and Peter and his confession together, that that those two things can't be separated. There's nothing in here that leads that has to lead you to the what we would consider to be an overinterpretation of the Roman Catholic Church on 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 basically the papacy. A lot of it resting on this passage. Oh, goodness gracious, you have to go to all sorts of other texts and twist those as well <laughs> to, to, come, to come to that conclusion. No, what you, what you do if you want to make that argument is you talk about how Jesus makes Peter first among equals in different situations and how he seemed to lead in the Jerusalem church or give right. the final answer. Uh, you, you talk about how the fact that Judas was replaced by Barnabas as an apostle. Not Barnabas, by uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Matthias. Yeah, Matthias. And well, if, if Judas was replaced, well, then certainly Peter must have also been replaced. So you start taking all these other texts to to build this notion of, of Petrine and therefore papal supremacy. It's certainly not in this text, or I would say any other text. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. But Yeah, so Jonathan, let's move on to, the, uh, to another part of this passage. I think 
Uh, one of the reasons why uh, we wanted to have you on is I, I think you have a good um, view on this and a good grasp on this. Um, sometimes we like to disagree with our uh, interviewees, but I think you're really right on on this one. But um, this key idea of the keys of the kingdom and loosing and binding on heaven and on earth, um, part of it probably comes from uh, kind of your Baptist convictions and, and other things like that, theological convictions. But if you kind of explain what how you see this working out and uh, even more importantly, kind of how it works out in the local church. But and, um, and before he gets, can we ask him also the question? I, John, I'd love to know what. There's a there's a translation issue here. Obviously, the CSB has in, has in the footnote different variations of what tense that's in when it talks about whatever you bind on earth will have been bound or will sure. be bound. Yeah. And, out. Sure. and so, so there's yeah. even a translation issue that I'd uh, be curious to hear your thoughts on. I mean, obviously, the CSB that we just read from has the footnote because. It, there, there's that issue they want to bring attention to. So I'd love to know, tense-wise, where you land on that as well. Yeah. Well, the, the Greek can go either way. It can it, it can go to the past perfect, will have been bound, or it can go to the future, will be bound. And I'm, I have two Bibles in front of me open right now. I have the CSB uh, in front of me, which 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 does which you read. Correctly. Uh, of past perfect. <laughs> of course, of course. But 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 the the Greek could go that way. That's a fine interpretation. It's also just grammatically. It's a fine interpretation to go to the future like my EESV has. Will be bound or shall be bound. Yes. Um, and I think what, what, what pushes people one way or another is, again, a, a reaction to Roman Catholic conceptions of, oh, well, if it's shall be bound, well, then surely they must be saying, uh, as we bring people into church membership or baptize them or remove them from it through discipline, that's actually affecting their state in heaven, sort of ex opere operato. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, you have to bring a whole host of other theological assumptions to bear on that text to make it say that. So where I come down is, I don't think it matters how you translate, because I just don't think that's what the text is saying either way. So that, probably okay. Well, no, I mean, you basically said either translation is fine because either translation shouldn't be you, what you're saying is the way you translate that verse shouldn't be intended to carry the weight of those interpretations exactly. uh, either on either side. So well what, what are a couple, can you lay out what the dominant interpretations of this text are and, and why you've come to the conclusion you've come to? Well, gosh, I mean, Every single word you can unpack and every single connection you can back. I mean, keys of the kingdom, what are they doing? Are they binding and loosing? I think so. I think that's the dominant interpretation. Other people would say, well, the keys of the kingdom are doing something other than binding and loosing. And what does binding and loosing mean after all, right? And what does it apply to? You know, so there's um, uh, Davies and Allison and sort of their classic commentary has 13 different interpretations of, of the ways you could go with it. So it's, it's a tough text, right? I mean, I, I've stared at it honestly for years now. Um, here's Here's, here's, let me give you a little bit of background, and then let me how, here's how I break it down. What, what makes a person a Christian? Well, we understand from the New Covenant we, be, we become a Christian invisibly through the word of the gospel, right? Uh, faith comes through hearing. Now, at this point, our salvation is still not public. It's still not signified. It's like, okay, well, who are the believers are? Uh, I know who Israel is. They're the people who are marked off by circumcision and baptism. They're the people who are in the land. Well, well, well who are the Christians? Well, I think what we get in Matthew 16 and 18 is Jesus making the invisible church visible. He's teaching us who has the authority to exercise border patrol in a kingdom with no borders. Okay, I, th- I think that's the backdrop for what's going on theologically in this text. He's, he's teaching us in this text and in 18 what makes the church visible. 
How do you make it visible? Well, you exercise the keys, binding and loosing. Well, what does that mean? Well, keys are a symbol of authority, right? Authority in this kingdom representing heaven, and they're being used not to open and shut. People often look back at Isaiah 21 or look forward to Romans, or Revelation uh, 2 where Jesus talks about the gates of Hades and, mm-hmm. and, and say, well, it must be doing that. Well, just because the word keys are being used doesn't mean it's doing the same thing. What do the keys here do? Well, they bind and loose. Those are strange words. Binding and loosing, what's that all about? Uh, well, to bind something is like rope, like gravity, like glue. It makes it stick. And to loose something is to, to send it off. In fact, what it is is legal language, right? Judges bind and loose. The rabbis in, in, around Jesus' time would have bound people by the law or loosed people from the law. So I think what's going on here is that uh, whoever holds the keys— And in Matthew 16, I think it's the apostles, you can talk about Matthew 18 if you want, they're rendering a judgment, a judge-like judgment. What does a judge do? He he looks at the law, he interprets the law, he looks at circumstances, he interprets circumstances, and then he renders judgment. He says, guilty, not guilty, right? He uses words, and those words bind or loot a a particular person who is before the court, right? So it's, it's different than what a law professor does. A law professor says, this is, la- this, this is the law. Right? He communicates information. A judge says, this is the law, but his, his language actually, again, binds or looses. And then he pounds the gavel and the person goes off to prison or not. When, when a person uses the keys of the kingdom to bind or loose, what are they doing? They're declaring on earth who, what the gospel is and who... Uh, belongs to the gospel, who the members of the church are, uh, either in or out. So when the pastor gets up and says, this is the gospel, and this is a conscience-binding declaration of the gospel for members of the church, uh, he is declaring before the nations on behalf of the church what the gospel is. Likewise, when you bring somebody into church membership or see someone out of church membership through church discipline, I think you're exercising the keys. You're rendering judgment. Here's Here's a one-sentence phrase on what the keys are. Rendering judgment on the who and the what of the gospel. Hmm. Rendering judgment on the who and the what of the gospel. I've been talking at length here. You want to jump so, in? So who's a member of the church? Who has the, the right to represent King Jesus in this way? Like that, that's, yep. that's what this is um, it's, it's, about. And, and, and it's your statement of faith. It's, yes. it, it's your statement of faith in your church membership directory. So... Um, so let's take this just one step further before we talk about how yep. we preach or teach this. Um, how, kind of based on your view and, and how you think this, this kind of plays out, uh, how could any denomination, any church kind of take this and go with it based on different ecclesiologies and different authority structures and uh, church government issues? Um, how, is, how do you think this could kind of apply to Presbyterian, Baptist, Anglican, kind of whoever? Is there a general principle uh, that you would yeah. apply here? Yeah, I mean, there's two questions. The question is, what do the keys do? And the second question is, who's holding the keys? I just talked to you about what the keys do. I said they're for rendering judgment on the who and the what of the gospel, yeah. all right? Okay, then the question is, who holds the keys? Well, Matthew 16, it's, it's at least Peter. Maybe Peter's representative of the apostles. Some debate there. Peter's representative of all Christians. Some debate there. But then you look at Matthew 18, verse 17, where it says, tell it to the church. You know, listen to the church. Treat them as you would a pagan or tax collector. And look at verse 18. Uh, truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Here he's talking about, I think, the church. Right. It's, a plur- it's a plural you. 
He's just referred to the congregation in verse 17. So here, I think it's the church who holds the keys. That's why I'm a congregationalist. Now, a Presbyterian is going to come along and say, yeah, but other passages of Scripture and Acts 15, it's the elders who hold the keys. And an Anglican will come along and say, well, no, for reasons X, Y, and Z, it's the bishop who holds the keys. So again, that's another whole conversation. I think in Matthew 18, verse 17 and 18, it clearly is the congregation holding the keys well, get the same First Corinthians five and so forth. Well, I mean, it is striking that in in that other passage in Matthew, I mean, same gospel. Obviously, um, when when whenever you're looking at a difficult text, it's important to look at other texts in the same yep. by the same author in the same way. It is striking that in that context, just a little bit later, you have the same usage of binding and loosing, and it happens to be in that congregational context. Yeah, and maybe and maybe the maybe the more general principle for whether you're congregational or whatever is the fact that at some level the Lord uh, has given the church this authority on earth kind of in the meantime before Christ comes back and and uh new creation comes. Would you say that's fair, Jonathan? Yeah, well, the way a Presbyterian would defend their position is they'd say uh, and, and this is the distinction they've they've been making at least since um, uh, at least since uh, 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 George Gillespie, the Scottish Presbyterian, 17th century. They would say um, the congregation possesses the keys, but the elders exercise the keys. Mm-hmm. Now we can talk about whether or not that's legitimate. I mean, do you really possess it if you can't exercise? We, we can talk about whether or not that's legitimate. But yeah. It, Protestants across the board want to say the congregation in some form or fashion possesses the keys, but then mm-hmm. they have to work out, then we have to work out, okay, well, what is the authority of the elders and how does the authority of the elders then relate to the authority of the congregation? Right. Yeah, that's, that's really helpful. Um, so anybody who's listening from any denomination, uh, have some fun taking that to your church and applying it. <laughs> uh, so, okay. So, so final thing here, Jonathan, how would you, um, how would you preach or teach this passage? Let's say any, anybody from a pastor to a Sunday school teacher to uh, maybe even a parent walking through this with a teenager or a child, um, just working through the Bible with them. Uh, what are some ways you think we can practically preach or teach this passage? Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I've tried to do it in different contexts my ways. I try to do it at an academic level in a couple of books. I try to do it at a very sort of lay level in the book, Understanding the Congregation's Authority. So I think it can be done. And it's, just, it's a question of how much do you want to kind of show your homework? So <laughs> People will say, let's look, look at Matthew 18. Clearly, what's it being used to do? It's clearly being used to, the keys are being used to discipline. But the phrase isn't just binding, and it's not just loosing. It's binding and loosing. Well, what does that imply? Well, it means a thing in its opposite, like tying and untying, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, if it's discipline, it would seem to also imply the other side of things. Well, let's, let's go back to Matthew 16. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's right. And you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. What has Peter just done? He's just, he's just made a declaration, and, and Jesus is affirming that declaration. And, and so I'm showing him in the text, well, clearly there's a confession at, at play here, a right confession, but there's also people at play here sure. in, in, in Matthew 16 and 18. So it seems to involve both a what and a who. Now, I've, I've taught this number of times to churches on a Sunday morning sermon, and uh, I try to uh, show my work kind of lightly, but qu- quickly, but, but, but clearly, because you don't want to get into the weeds of all the different disputes, and you don't want to, you know, oh, well, this commentator says this, and that says that. Sure. But I'll also, when I'm teaching this, I try to sum it up really quickly. As I said to you before, it's about rendering judgment on the who and the what of the gospel. It's about statements of faith and church membership directories, nice and concrete. <laughs> 
Jonathan, thank you for bringing your expertise to this passage. This is a um, uh, a contested one for sure, uh, yeah. and one that we may need to come back to again with a couple of the other aspects that, that may be on here. But uh, I, I really do appreciate uh, the work that you do and have done in, in making um, uh, the understanding of church membership very accessible, uh, helping people understand church discipline, just how these things work. And I appreciate you bringing your expertise to this passage too for our podcast. Well, I would just say, if I could say one last thing, sure. Uh, don't don't be afraid of the keys text. I mean, I think right. Protestants are, are kind of afraid of this text. Like, how many sermons have you heard <laughs> on the keys? Yeah. And I would say, you know, brothers, let's not be afraid of this text. Let's research it, understand it, and preach it. Yes. Well, the fear is because I mean, they're afraid they might sound Roman Catholic on the one hand, or they may. They, yeah. The fear is because it's so disputed, even by Protestants and different denominations, how the application of it goes. They're they're afraid to wade into that too. So yeah, that's right. Yeah, but it is it is worth talking about just how important the church is, how important community is, how important the I mean, ambassadorship. Jesus, yeah, of, Jesus clearly yeah. set us up as an emissary on earth of the kingdom. That's it, so, absolutely. So well, Jonathan, that's thank it. you so much for jumping on. Let's really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you, brothers. Grateful for you. And Trevin, thanks as always for co-hosting. Thank you all for listening, and we will see you next time. Thanks for listening. Word Matters has been presented by the Christian Standard Bible, a translation that is faithful to the original languages but clear for today's audience. Find out more at csbible.com.